Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox. I'm the Compliance Evangelist, and I'd like to welcome you to this special five-part podcast series sponsored by Affiliated Monitors, which celebrates Affiliated Monitors' 15 years in business as the first entity specializing in independent integrity monitoring. Founded in 2004, Affiliated Monitors provides independent integrity monitoring and ethics and compliance assessments nationally and internationally and across almost all industries. With its knowledge of effective ethics and compliance programs and cultures, Affiliated Monitors is respected for its work as the corporate monitor on matters ranging from multinational corporations to small and mid-sized companies and even individuals. Having served in nearly 750 monitorships, no one has more experience as an independent monitor than the team at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on how an independent monitor can help improve your company's ethics and compliance programs, visit this podcast series sponsor, Affiliated Monitors, at www.affiliatedmonitors.com. In this special five-part series, I'm joined by Mikhail Reeder-Gordon, Managing Director of Global Affairs at Affiliated Monitors, where she draws on her extensive subject matter expertise to manage the monitorships of corporate clients' assets and advise in matters of ethics and compliance. We consider why independence is so critical to monitorships, the ABA guidelines around monitorships, Mikhail's teaching compliance investigations at the International Anti-Corruption Academy. We look at cultural differences between international and domestic monitorships. And we conclude with an evolution of situations requiring a monitor. I know you will enjoy this podcast series. It's a fascinating exploration of multiple issues with a knowledgeable subject matter expert. In this episode two, we consider the American Bar Association's guidance on monitors. This series is a special presentation of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox back with Mikhail Gordon of Affiliated Monitors for part two of our five-part exploration of aspects of monitorships. Today, we're going to take a look at the American Bar Association's guidelines on monitors and how that really works into the independence or independent integrity monitor. This is one of the key themes of this podcast series. So, Mikhail, welcome back. Thank you very much, Tom. Happy to be back. We've actually met at a uh, ABA function or two, but I was wondering if you, you could talk about your involvement with the American Bar Association. Sure. Yes. In fact, we'd like to see it more. Um, yeah, I've I've been uh, heavily involved in the ABA for uh, more than a decade now. I currently serve on the Council of the Section of International Law. I've done that for about ten years. Uh, for the past two years, I served as the Rule of Law Officer, and I'm currently serving as the Technology Officer. And, of course, in addition to that, I've served on a number of committee levels, co-chair of the International Anti-Corruption Committee, International Anti-Money Laundering Committee, uh, Corporate Social Responsibility Committee. You can see a little bit of a theme here happening. Uh, I chaired the ABA's Gatekeeper Task Force on Regulation of the Profession, and and I continue to serve as a senior advisor to the Anti-Corruption Committee, and I wear a few other hats uh, with the organization. You can tell I'm I'm a fan of the ABA. (laughs) So one of the things, or rather uh, the criminal justice section has issued standards for monitors. Could you tell us a little bit uh, about them and why you think they are so important? Absolutely. Um, You know, and I I want to start with saying, you know, because monitors can serve a variety of functions, 
um, advising organizations on the implementation of compliance programs, auditing compliance with an agreement uh, with a regulator, uh, investing the, investigating an organization's compliance with the law, as well as acting to reduce fraud, waste, abuse, um, and increase the organization's economy, efficiency, effectiveness. Um, you know, there, there's a lot there, and and I think the the ABA via its criminal justice session, uh, justice section issued these standards for monitors, and it's really noteworthy that very near the top, uh, under the selection process, under these standards, uh, standard 24, uh, 2.2, under the candidate pool, it, it emphasizes that the selection process of of a monitor should encourage consideration of a broad range of monitor candidates and should not be artificially limited by demographic, professional, and geographic factors. And under qualifications, you know, integrity, credibility, and professionalism are at the top of the list. And, and, and under potential exclusion, there are a number of examples the standards provide that, that really should be baked into every monitor selection process. Um, anything, of course, that appears to create a conflict of interest and thus impair or importantly to be perceived to impair the monitor's judgment or independence or non-starters. But the standards actually go further. They go on to provide additional factors that should be considered, some of which may seem obvious to us, um, you know, not having worked for the organization, being monitored during the time and the activity in question. Uh, but but it also includes not holding prior affiliation with a firm that provided legal or other professional services to the organization being monitored. And, and this part, I think, is just so key. Any other factor that could bias or impair or be perceived to bias or impair the monitor's judgment, objectivity, independence, including the prospect of future engage, engagements, or other economic considerations that could influence its independence. Um, you know, I, I think that's just, uh, that really emphasizes the importance of independence. So, Mikhail, monitors are known for, with a variety of names. They can be independent private sector inspector generals. They can be ombudsmen. Monitors sure. certainly can be uh, both from the criminal side of the docket or the civil side, and they are certainly used by a wide group of federal, state, uh, municipal, uh, and even county regulators uh, far beyond the Department of Justice. And so I was wondering, are the ABA guidelines really broad enough to encompass all of these different types of monitors, or do you advocate uh, some other structure? I, I think these are. I think the standards are a terrific start. I, I think there's always more we can do. Um, they're really these standards are an extension of the federal regulation uh, that governed, for instance, um, you know, 28 uh, CFR 45.2. Really sounding like a lawyer now, <laughs> but they got they govern DOJ employee responsibilities. Um, the standards, the ABA standards, go beyond. Uh, that employee responsibility, where, you know, under the regulations, relationships, including friendships of the DOJ employee to a person or organization um, that's being criminally investigated or prosecuted, right, is to be judged uh, on an individual basis with due regard given to the subjective opinion of the employee. 
The ABA standards really go beyond that. They extend into civil and criminal proceedings. And I think they recognize that even the mere perception of bias or impairment of objectivity is, is absolutely essential when selecting a monitor. And, and, and I know there's been, there's been a, a, a lot of academic debate about whether there should be one set of standards for monitors. I don't think that's possible given the, the various forms monitorships can take. But I do think um, in, encoding true independence um, is essential no matter what form that monitorship takes and what title you give it, whether it's uh, uh, an IPSIG or an ombudsman, uh, an external compliance officer, whatever you call it. Well, Cal, one of the themes that I've heard you talk about in this episode that I frankly had not focused on previously was not bias or partiality, but even the appearance of bias or the perception. The perception, and I think this gets—I think this gets a little lost uh, at times during the selection process, um, because you know. And, I, and again, there's been a lot of a lot of print on this. Whether there should be more transparency uh, on the reports from monitors. The monitors are, are designed to be independent. Um, in many in many instances, you know, we're reporting to um, the court. And the court, the ju a judge is independent. And, and I think that perception is very critical for uh, how, how well the public and how well external stakeholders feel the value of the monitorship, uh, what, what's been delivered there. That perception means a lot. It, it, in, it invests trust and faith in the institution of oversight. Well, Cal, unfortunately, we are near the end of our time for this episode, but I hope our listeners will join us again for part three in our five-part exploration, where we take a look at teaching compliance and investigations at the International Anti-Corruption Academy, which, frankly, I can't wait to find out more <laughs> about. So uh, I look forward to continuing the conversation, and thank you. Thank you, Tom. Hello, everyone. This is Tom Fox again. I'd like to thank you for listening to this episode of our five-part series exploring aspects of monitorships with Mikhail Gordon, Managing Director at Affiliated Monitors. For more information on Affiliated Monitors, check out their website, www.affiliatedmonitors.com. I hope you'll join us again for another episode where Mikhail and I take a look at another aspect of monitorships, which is something that you should consider in your compliance program going forward. This five-part series is a production of the Compliance Podcast Network. Thanks again for listening. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.